19. It's on page 783 in the church Bibles. If you've got one there, I'll give you a moment to find it. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, good day and welcome. If I haven't met you, my name is Pete Stacey, and today we have another big question uh, in our current series. We've been exploring the gospel, the good news of God's love for, human- for humanity and how we can communicate that uh, to others. Now we're exploring some hard issues that for some people are real stumbling blocks to faith in God. Last week we looked at the issue of suffering, an issue that leads many to doubt whether God even exists at all. It was a very helpful message, by the way, and if you missed it, can I encourage you, check out the website, watch it on the the live stream on our church Facebook page. Today we're moving on to this question, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Well, let's ask God to help us as we consider it today. Thank you, Father, for this time to spend with you and with each other. Please clear our cluttered minds and help us to consider how you have revealed yourself to us and why it matters. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the biggest threats to our question today, and to any of these tough uh, topics, is that we're so easily distracted. The average Aussie spends just over six hours a day online, a third of that social media. So within a, with only 24 hours uh, a day, there's not a lot of available time once you add in all the other necessities of life. Uh, So it doesn't allow much time for careful reflection uh, on big questions about life and God. And so often, quite frankly, it's just easier to to spend the time cruising Facebook or YouTube uh, than trying to find truth. Why doesn't God just show up and do something and make himself clearer? And if we do take the time to really seek answers, 
Where do we look? And who do we trust? We live in, in an, an age of information uh, access and information overload. There are so many voices clamoring for our attention. Which ones are worth a second look in a click and delete world? Even if we narrow our search to religion, there are so many religions on offer. Is the idea of truth even possible these days? If God's out there somewhere, why doesn't he just show up and tell us all? The most common solution in Western societies is the idea of pluralism, that all faiths are equal and have an equal contribution to society. But there are so many different faiths and so many contradictions in what they believe. For example, uh, some religions say there are many gods. Some say there's just one god. And then others promote a worldview where there is no god at all. They can't all be right. And so we tend to ignore and hide and suppress details just to avoid conflict. And we sacrifice intellectual integrity on the altar of cultural acceptance. Why doesn't the real God make himself clear? And can I just add that that true tolerance isn't the absence or denial of conflict. It's a decision to love and respect others even when we disagree with them. To some people today, the idea of God is just irrelevant. It's a non-issue. God doesn't fit in our modern culture. uh, And our culture has marginalised the importance of God, moved away from his morality, and is increasingly trying to legislate him out of public life altogether. If he's really there, why doesn't he stand up for himself and show himself to the world? And then there's times when life just hurts. And we have doubts. And we sit on the edge of our beds at night praying through tears and our words seem to bounce right back off the ceiling. Isn't it fair to ask, where is God? Why doesn't God make himself clearer? Friends, it's a good question. It's not only fair, it's essential that we ask this question. And as we consider it, I hope that we will all see that God's answer is deeply satisfying intellectually and emotionally. He makes sense of life. And we're going to begin with a little memory game. Look to the screen. What you're going to see is a bunch of pictures in rapid succession. And uh, then you'll see this screen again. And we're going to see how many you can actually remember. This has a point. Ready? Here we go. Did you get them all? There's, there's nine. There's nine. Okay, so you can count them up on your fingers. There's, do you want them one more time? All right, here we go. One more time. Go. Boom. Did you get them all that time? Just check with the person beside you. I'll give you 20 seconds. Go. Uh, 
Uh, some people reckon they got nine. All right. Here they all are. You can check for yourself. Here they are. Now, the point of the game... Oh, some people are giving themselves a good pat on the back right there. It's good to see. The point of the game, the point of the game is not really to test our memory, but to marvel at the fabulous variety, the infinite beauty, majesty and grandeur of all that the Bible tells us God has created. The first part of God's answer to our question today is that he has revealed himself to us in creation. We heard Psalm 19 read for us. It was written by David, the shepherd, who became a powerful king. Imagine him out there on the hills as the glow of sunset fades and um, the first stars begin to appear. Perhaps he's got his head resting on a fat little woolly lamb and, and after a couple of hours, a billion stars are glowing in the sky. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Friends, what's the purpose of creation here? Verse 1. The heavens declare, what is it? The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Friends, creation is communication. Creation is communication. It's one way God shows us things about himself. We heard Romans 1 a moment ago. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. The Bible consistently claims that God not only made everything, but it all belongs to him, and he keeps it all going. In fact, the kids' sheet has this verse on it from Colossians. All things were created by him and for him. There is no place in all of creation where God is irrelevant or absent. The universe, it's not like a, a grandfather clock, you know, beautifully crafted and then just left to run itself. God is intimately involved in all of his creation. In fact, there is nothing that exists apart from his creative and sustaining power. Acts 17 reminds us that God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Thanks for another one, Lord. Literally. Think about that. As a shepherd, David would have seen all kinds of terrain, deep ravines, mountains, grassy slopes, forest streams. In all of it, he saw the hand of God. And creation became such a rich source of his understanding of God in all kinds of ways. I mean, Psalm 1, the person who trusts God is like a tree planted by streams of water. Psalm 23, there's green pastures, but there's also this valley of the shadow of death, which apparently that is called the valley of the shadow of death. I, I discovered that uh, yesterday. Uh, and yet in both places, David saw the great shepherd leaving his sheep. 
safely, his people, God leading his people. In Psalm 139, he admires the profound miracle of God's handiwork, creating an unborn child. Now, there's a topic we could talk on for a while. (laughs) Just a few days ago, a lady shared with me that one reason she became a follower of Jesus is that nature is just so magnificently designed. There must be a creator, she said. And I know many people have expressed a similar sentiment. How many times have you seen a a brilliant sunrise? That was this morning, 6.05. Awesome. Uh, I saw one of our other congregation members there. It was was lovely. Um, Or or looked into the face of a tiny baby. Or walked through a magnificent rainforest. Or had a swim at Shell Harbour Beach and thought to yourself, this is amazing. It's a glimpse Of the greatness of God. Friends, imagine the joy and wonder if we could meet the creator of the whole universe. We can. We can. The God who has given us life and knows everything about us created us to know him. Creation is communication. But there's only so much we can discover about God from all that he has made. It leaves us in awe and yet still distant. There's little sense of personal relationship. We need more. And God has provided. As David ponders God's communication through creation, he's reminded of the immense value of God's communication to us in his word, the scriptures. Listen to what he goes on to say. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. All of creation points to God's existence and power, but we can only know God personally because he has made himself known through his word. One of the problems that often arises at this point for some people is is the historical reliability of the documents that make up the Bible. Can we really trust it? Well, countless books have been written on this subject and I can refer you to some if you'd like to explore it more. But, But let me offer just three brief comments. Firstly, when judging the reliability of ancient documents, historians want to know how many copies of ancient manuscripts exist how accurate they are, and how close they are to the event that they're describing. So, for example, let's pick Plato. He wrote his dialogues uh, at about 400 BC. The earliest copy we have is from 900 AD, a gap of about 1,300 years, and we have seven manuscripts in all. Julius Caesar wrote about his Gaelic Wars about 100 BC. The earliest manuscript is from uh, a thousand years later. And we have 10 copies. And yet there's considerable agreement between those copies. And so historians consider these documents to be reliable accounts of history. The New Testament was written from 50 to 90 AD. The earliest full manuscripts we have about 300 years later. What's more, there's well over 10,000 ancient copies 
with astonishing agreement between all those manuscripts. The reliability of the Bible has vastly more evidence than any other ancient document. So the text itself may be authentic and reliable, but that doesn't make it God's word. The Bible was written by about 40 people over a span of 1,500 years. And so many scholars have noted the staggering consistency within it. How could such a a coherent message be achieved without someone kind of overseeing the whole project? And yet that's impossible, 1,500 years span. The Bible itself explains, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's our answer. Again, we hear uh, all Scripture is is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God oversaw the whole thing. And note the end of that last verse, how God's word impacts every part of the life of the believer. Uh, We saw that in the words of Psalm 19.2 in many ways. And it leads me to the third brief point that throughout history, countless thousands of people have been so impacted because they believed this to be God's word that they were prepared not only to live their lives according to it, but willingly die for it. And I just want to ask, who would die for a lie? All around the world, people keep believing that the Bible is true. Jesus is real and the good news God gives us here in its pages is worth living and dying for. Back in Psalm 19, David says, The decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great Reward. God's word makes sense of life. It is the tour guide and roadmap we all need on this adventure called life because it leads us to a relationship with God. But again, there's a problem. In reflecting on the greatness of God in creation and marveling at the goodness of God's word, David becomes acutely aware of his own sinfulness. How can he have a relationship with a powerful, pure and holy creator. And so he says, Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David recognized that unless God cleaned his heart and forgave his sins he was in serious trouble friends we too are faced with our own uncleanness and guilt and our need to be right before God and it leads us to the final point God has revealed himself perfectly and finally in his son our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ 
The writer of Hebrews says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Colossians says, The sun is the image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, we need only look to Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself claimed to be God so clearly that the religious leaders of the day wanted to stone him to death for blasphemy. On one occasion, they confronted him and demanded, what sign will you show us to prove your authority? And I think many people today sympathise with them on this point. If only Jesus would somehow make himself clearly. If only God would do more miracles, then we'd believe. One time the crowd said to Jesus, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? A few pages later, John says, even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. Throughout the Bible, there are three stages in its history where there were lots of miracles. Moses and the Exodus, Elisha and Elijah, and then Jesus' ministry followed by the apostles. Amazing things, amazing things happened. But what is quite alarming is that those three periods also record some of the most blatant stubbornness, And hardness of heart. While miracles reveal God's kindness and power, they do not always produce faith. One occasion they did that. Doubting Thomas, you might have heard of him. Uh, Thomas saw the risen Jesus. He said he wouldn't believe until he saw him and Jesus kindly appeared to him. and, And he saw and believed. And Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. To comfort his disciples before his trial and death, Jesus said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. Friends, to to know Christ is to know God. We can know a lot about God without personal faith in Jesus Christ. But relationship with God, which brings his forgiveness, which brings the gift of eternal life, is only found through personal faith in Jesus Christ. God's perfect, perfect revelation of himself. One verse that has had an enduring impact on me personally is this. You'll know it well. Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to reach out to him and clean our lives up or, or impress him with outstanding service. While we were sinners, not even interested in him. It's at that point that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. If that's how much God loves us, if that's how he has revealed himself to us, Friends, I think he's a God worth trusting and following. In Psalm 19, David begins by rejoicing because God has revealed himself 
in creation. He delights because God has revealed himself to in his word. And he's relieved that God has cleaned his heart and forgiven his sin, which we know from the New Testament he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God. I love how David finishes this psalm. It's a humble rededication of his life to God. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Personal, isn't it? My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Friends, as we reflect on all the ways God has revealed himself to us, creation in his word, in in Jesus Christ. Let us not merely appreciate the facts, but dedicate or, or rededicate our lives in trust and joyful obedience to the God who has made himself known to us. Amen.